Welcome to the Investing in Oil and Gas.com podcast, where Mike brings you in the game and on the drilling rig with real life oil well drilling experiences, 3D seismic shooting, geology, engineering, investment terms, strategy, and more. Your host brings over 20 years of experience with hundreds of oil and gas wells and companies including ExxonMobil, Shell, and BP. Degreed in petroleum engineering from Texas A&M and later receiving a professional engineering license, today, Mike is the president of an oil company that explores for oil using its own 3D seismic equipment and then drills oil wells on the prospects that they find on seismic. Mike wrote the book, Investing in Oil and Gas, selling thousands of copies in print, digital, and audiobooks. You'll find it on Amazon. And now, Mike May. Well, hello again. This is Mike. We are still preparing to drill a well very soon. And one of the things you do when you drill a well is run casing. And some thought goes into the casing design. So I thought we would spend some time talking about the casing design for this upcoming well. First of all, let me define casing. Casing is pipe that you run in a well that stays in the well permanently throughout the productive life of the well. So once the drill bit gets to the bottom of the well, what we call TD or total depth, and when we pull it out of the hole, we're left with what is truly just a hole in the ground. It's not filled with air, it's filled with drilling fluid or what we call mud, sometimes called drilling mud or mud, uh, or the fancy term is drilling fluid, but it is just a hole in the ground. So when you pull the drill bit out of the hole and you have a hole in the ground full of drilling fluid or drilling mud or just mud, that's called an open hole. And the next step is to run casing, which is pipe that will stay in the well and line the well throughout the productive life of the well. So that special kind of pipe that we put in the hole is called casing. Now in our particular case, we're going to drill two segments of hole and we're going to have two different kinds of casing. This is actually a very simple well. We're going to drill a 12 and a quarter inch hole using a 12 and a quarter inch drill bit. That means it's 12 and a quarter inches in diameter. So we're going to drill a 12 and a quarter inch hole from the surface to a depth of about 240 feet. There is a certain depth required by the Texas Water Board, which tells us the minimum depth that we have to set surface casing. So in this case, our surface casing is required to be set to about 100 feet. So we'll run some extra just to be on the safe side. And joints of casing come in lengths of 40 feet. So we're going to set it in some increment of 40 feet. So it's going to be 40 or 80 or 120. Or in our case, it's going to be probably 240 feet deep. After we drill a 12 and a quarter inch diameter hole, we will run 8 and 5 eighths inch diameter casing. And since it's the very first one that we run in the hole, it's over the surface interval, that is called the surface casing because it's at the surface. So our first hole section is a 12 and a quarter inch bit, and then we're gonna set eight and five eighths inch surface casing. So after we run the eight and five eighths casing, we will run cement behind that casing from the shoe, which is the bottom of the casing, all the way to surface. After the cement has set, we will go inside the eight and five eighths casing with a seven and seven eighths inch bit, in other words, a drill bit that has a diameter of seven and seven eighths of an inch. And we will drill out the shoe track, which is the cement at the very bottom of the casing, and then drill ahead all the way to our TD. And our TD, which means total depth, 
or the deepest depth drilled within a well. In our case, the TD is about 5,000 feet. So our seven and seven eighths inch bit will drill out the cement that's in the very bottom of the eight and five eighths casing. And then we will drill all the way to the bottom of the well to our TD total depth of approximately 5,000 feet. And then we will pump cement down the inside of the casing and back up the outside of the casing into the volume between the outside of the casing and the inside of the borehole wall. And that volume in between the casing and the borehole wall is called the annulus. Annulus is spelled A-N-N-U-L-U-S, annulus. There are at least four stresses that the casing will come under during its productive life, and those are collapse, burst, and tensile strength or tensile failure. So we want casing to be able to resist collapse. Potentially fluid, being liquid or gas, can build up pressure outside the casing and squeeze on it and cause it to collapse. So we want our casing to be strong enough to resist collapse. Also, pressure may build up inside the casing that's greater than the pressure outside and cause the casing to burst. So we wanna have casing that's strong enough to resist any burst conditions that might exist during the life of the well. And finally, we want our casing to be strong enough to withstand the tension that it's going to experience while we're running it in the hole. And also after we set it in place, we'll probably set our casing in tension and it needs to be strong enough to withstand that. Also, we want our casing to be strong enough that in the event that we have trouble getting down, in other words, while we're running our casing in the hole, we sit down on something or we get stuck and we want to pull on it kind of be a little bit rough with it, sort of like you would be rough with a, a, a hand tool. This is getting rough with a string of pipe that's several thousand feet long. We want it to be able to withstand that extra stress that we might want to put on it in the event we have trouble getting in or out of the hole. And finally, there's corrosion. If the downhole environment is conducive to corrosion of the metal, then we want to use a metal that resists corrosion to the extent possible. We're going to run five and a half inch diameter casing with a weight per foot of 15.5 pounds. So the weight of one foot of this casing is 15.5 pounds. And technically that's the average with the collars and everything. The steel grade is K55. And the 55 means that it can withstand a stress of 55,000 pounds per square inch. The letter K has to do with the metallurgy and its carbon content and so forth. In our case, lower grade steels that are not as strong are more resistant to corrosion. So while you might think that we want to get a higher strength steel in terms of its tensile strength, would also resist corrosion, you might guess that, but it's the opposite. Higher strength steels are less resistant to corrosion. So we wanna use the strongest steel that we need to to meet our collapse, burst, and joint tensile strength requirements while being essentially as weak as possible, to maximize our resistance to corrosion. Here we go. I'm going to give you some of the specs on this pipe. The specifications of pipe in the oil field are given by the American Petroleum Institute, or API. So the API publishes specifications. They are standards. And so all manufacturers around the world that manufacture pipe manufacture to API specifications or API standards. So when you buy pipe, if it says it's API spec, then you know it meets these specifications. So that way manufacturers can manufacture to a known spec 
and end users such as myself can purchase pipe and know what specifications that pipe has. Otherwise, we would just have chaos if everybody made their own pipe to their own specifications. So our pipe is five and a half inch, 15.5 pound per foot, K55. And the collar is what we call a long thread. So it's a long collar. The ends of each string of pipe are male threads. And then what we have is a small, very short piece of pipe, about eight inches long, that's a double female. And the double females connect all of those uh, male threads on each end of the casing. Each joint of casing is about 40 feet long, and that way it fits on a 40-foot trailer so that when you're trucking it down the road, it fits on the trailer. The wall thickness of our casing, this is API spec casing, is 0.275 inches. The inside diameter is 4.95 inches. Remember, the outside diameter is 5.5 inches. The drift diameter is 4.825 inches. And that means that the inside diameter is at least that much. It's never less than 4.825 inches. It's supposed to be 4.95 inches, but due to manufacturing imperfections, you never actually make perfect pipe. What they guarantee is that the inside diameter is never less than 4.825 inches. And there's a process with casing called drifting or drifting pipe. And that means you take a small cylinder of metal and you machine it to a very, very high tolerance. In this case, you would machine it to 4.825 inches. And you can just place it in one end of the pipe and blow on it with an air hose. And it'll move through the pipe and should come out the other end. And so as long as you're able to pass a small cylinder of metal that's 4.825 inches in diameter, and as long as that's able to pass through the casing, then it meets the requirement of a drift diameter of 4.825, even though the official diameter should be 4.95. And that's important because we may run other tools in the well, downhole tools, and we need to make sure, we need to be assured that we can get them all the way to the bottom of the well. If we have a piece of casing that is not to spec and its inside diameter is less than that specified drift diameter, then we may not be able to get it to the bottom of the well. In other words, there'll be a, an artificial bottleneck in our way. So that's what drift diameter means. The couplings or collars on our casing string are 6.05 inches for this kind of casing string. So that's our maximum OD, 6.05. The rest of the casing will be 5.5. And now I'm going to talk about collapse, burst, and tension. The first thing we worry about is collapse. And collapse is where the casing is weakest. So what we do is we assume the worst case scenario that our bottom hole pressure is exposed to our casing and is pushing on the casing on the outside, trying to collapse it. And on the inside, we assume we have zero pressure, which is probably never going to happen you're always going to have some column of liquid and or gas inside the borehole. But for the worst case scenario for our casing design, we assume that there's zero pressure on the inside. So that means the differential between the outside and the inside is maximum. The worst case scenario, we have full bottom hole pressure from our reservoir pressing on the outside and we have absolutely zero on the inside. So the casing itself has to do all the work. So the minimum collapse pressure for five and a half inch 1550 K55 casing is 3,860 PSI. And our anticipated bottom hole pressure is 2,200 PSI. So that means this casing will more than handle the pressure that we're going to press on it in the worst case scenario. 
so it's capable of withstanding a differential of 3,800 PSI, and yet the maximum we could possibly create in this well is 2,200 PSI. So that's good. Now, burst pressure. So the minimum pressure at which this casing will begin to yield, which is where you exceed the elastic limit, but you don't cause failure yet, is 4,800 PSI. And so once again, that's well below our maximum bottom hole pressure of 2,200 PSI. So there's no way that we will create pressure exceeding 4,800 PSI. Another specification for this kind of pipe is the burst pressure mill test. Casing is tested at the steel mill where it's made. In order to meet API specs, the casing has to be tested up to 3,000 PSI. So when you buy this casing, you know it's been tested to 3,000 PSI. Now, some mills will test every joint of pipe, and some mills will test every tenth joint of pipe. So you have to be careful with that. I don't mean it specifically. It, it does mean that that is what they're testing as they're making it. And so however often they're testing it, they test the 3,000 PSI. And if they ever have a failure, then everything between that test and the previous test is rejected. And finally, there's the matter of joint strength. As we're running in the hole, you have a very long string of casing, and it's all made of steel. It's actually very heavy, and we can calculate that weight. In our case, we know that each foot of pipe weighs 15.5 pounds, and the depth is 5,000 feet. So 5,000 feet times 15.5 pounds per foot is 77,500 pounds. So that is the weight of our string in air. In reality, the casing is going to be inside drilling fluid rather than just in air. So it's going to have a buoyed weight that is less than that. In other words, the, the fact that it's inside this fluid will mean that it, there's a buoyant force and so the tension at the surface will be reduced by that buoyant force. Technically, if you want to know, the buoyant force is equal to the weight of the fluid displaced by the casing. We need to be able to lift a minimum of 77,500 pounds. This is not pounds per square inch. This is the actual weight of the string, 77,500 pounds. And in addition to that, we want to have a lot of safety factor because we would like to be able to get rough with the casing and pull up and down and pull hard on it at the surface in the event that we have difficulty getting it into the hole. We want to be well above that specification. Now, understand that because there's going to be a buoyant force when we run it into the hole, our actual tension will be much less than this. In fact, we'll have a piece of hardware at the bottom of the casing that will prevent mud from flowing into the casing while we're running it in the hole, and that's called floating it in the hole. So that maximizes the buoyant force, and that helps us so that in the event that we need to pull, we will pull up to the maximum tensile, or actually the yield strength of the, of the casing, and we'll be able to pull much harder if we're floating it in the hole than we would if we had a, an open bottom. Now in our case, the joint tensile strength at the yield point for long thread and collar is 180,000 pounds, actually 181,000 pounds. And our weight before the buoyancy is taken into account is 77,500. So we have way more tensile strength than we need, and that's good. And finally, it's K55 grade, which is the low end. There are other common grades that are L80, N80, and P110. All of those are stronger grades of steel, but they're less resistant to corrosion. So since this grade 
is more than strong enough to meet our requirements for collapse, burst, and tension, we're going to use this grade because it is the most resistant to corrosion. So that's our casing that we're going to use. And then there's a few small pieces of equipment that we're going to include in the casing string. On the very bottom, we're going to attach something called a float shoe. The bottom of the casing is called a shoe, and it's both a location and it can also be a piece of equipment. So whenever you talk about the depth of the bottom of casing, sometimes you just say the casing shoe or the shoe is at this depth. But there's also a piece of equipment screwed onto the bottom of casing, and that is also called a casing shoe. Sometimes we put a one-way valve in that piece of equipment so that when we're cementing, we will pump cement down the inside of the casing, out the bottom of the casing, and then back up the annulus, also called the backside. And we'll have a one-way valve in the bottom, and there's different designs. There's ball valves and there's flappers. The point is that there's a valve down there, and it allows fluid to flow down through the casing and out the outside and back up the annulus, but not the opposite direction. And that's useful because sometimes you're pumping cement and it may have a slurry weight of, say, 14 pounds per gallon, and you're following it with water, or sometimes the word is chasing it with water, which will fill the inside of the well after the cement has been pumped. And that water may have a much lower density, say 8.4 pounds per gallon. We will chase our cement slurry with 2% KCL water. So we'll have an approximate density of 8.4 pounds per gallon. And the slurry on the outside might be 14 pounds per gallon. If we didn't have that one-way valve in the bottom called a float collar, float just means it has a valve in it. Otherwise, I'm sorry, float shoe. Excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Float shoe. If you just have something on the bottom, screwed onto the bottom that just kind of guides it, that can be called just a shoe or a guide shoe. If you add a valve to it, it's called a float shoe. And so what happens, the reason we need that float shoe or that valve, that one-way valve, is because once we get our cement pumped all the way up the outside, the outside of the casing in the annulus, and it's 14 pounds per gallon perhaps, and on the inside of the well, we've got something that's 8.4 pounds per gallon, we have a much denser fluid on the outside than on the inside. And so without that valve, what would happen as soon as we released the pressure on the both sides at the surface is that heavy cement would want to run back down and then turn and come back up the inside of the well, which is the exact opposite of what we want. And then it would level out at some point with <laughs> half the cement being on insi the inside of the well and half the cement being on the outside of the well. That's not what we want. We want it to go out the bottom, go up the outside and stay there. And so that's why we have that float shoe on bottom. So a float shoe is just a shoe with a valve. Now, up one joint off bottom, it could be a full 40-foot joint, or we might use a short joint that's only 12 to 20 feet long. But either way, one joint of casing off bottom will have another special tool called a float collar. So a collar is is a that double female piece of pipe I told you about that holds two joints of casing together. That's just a normal collar, but this is a float collar. So it, once again, it means it has a valve in it and it has a one-way valve. And so what that means is if we have a float collar, one joint off bottom and a float shoe on the bottom, that means we've got two different valves in our system. And 
That will help us in the event that either one of them fails. We've got a backup. And also means that there's cement in that entire bottom joint of casing. So you've got cement on the outside and cement filling the entire bottom joint of casing. And that's okay as long as your pay zone is, is up the hole somewhere. The next thing that I did not mention that we would take into consideration is that we will run a few short joints of casing. I told you earlier that casing comes in 40-foot lengths so that it will fit on a trailer. But there's a few cases where we like to use short joints, which are 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, but something that is much shorter than 40 feet. And we do that intentionally to help us a little later during the job. A short joint is useful when perforating. I'm not going to go into a long explanation right now. I'll save that for a discussion on perforating. But I just want to mention that we do want to run short joints, if possible, slightly above our pay zones so that later on when we run perforating guns with a casing collar locator, those joints will really stick out because all of the joints will be about 40 feet. And those locations will be 20 feet apart. So they'll really stick out. They'll be easy to find. And that way we'll have high confidence as to exactly where we are in the well when we're logging along with only a casing collar locator at the time we're perforating. In our case, we'll probably have a short joint, one or two joints above our pay zone uh, on bottom. And if we get lucky and we find any other pay zones up the hole, say up at 2,500 feet or 3,000 feet, we'll also run a short joint there to help us when we eventually perforate those years down the road. And the last thing is a DV tool. A DV tool is something you run in, in the casing string that allows you to cement in two different stages. But sometimes you want to be able to put cement outside the casing in various levels with high confidence. And the problem is if you're pumping, say, a 14-pound slurry, sometimes you cannot get that all the way back to surface. Say we definitely want to have cement on bottom, say in the bottom 500 feet where a pay zone is, you know, and we'd like to bring it as high as possible, and we will. We'll actually bring it as high as we possibly can, but there may be another zone up there at a thousand feet where we want to perforate later, but for whatever reason, we want to be sure we get good cement around a zone that's very shallow, then we may use a DV tool. And that's something you talk with the cementing company about ahead of time. All right, so we talked about everything. We talked about running casing, and we wanted to design for four different parameters. Number one, collapse. Number two, burst. Number three, tensile strength. And number four, corrosion. So in our case, our five and a half inch OD, 15.5 pound per foot, K55 casing meets all of those requirements. We're also going to plan for our float shoe on the very bottom. Our float collar, which is one joint off bottom, perhaps some short joints of casing that are 10, 15, or 20 feet long, one or two joints above each of our pay zones to help us when we're perforating later and prevent mistakes. And finally, we may run a DV tool so that we can do a two-stage cementing job instead of just a one-stage cementing job. So there you have it. That is our casing plan for this well. I want to say thank you for being here. I really do appreciate having you as a listener on this podcast, our website is investinginoilandgas.com, investinginoilandgas.com. There's an email address there if you want to contact me. 
and there's also a place to join an email list. If you're ever interested in being contacted about drilling opportunities or drilling investment opportunities, you'll probably want to be on that list. Visit us at investinginoilandgas.com and join our email list.